So, what are those? Two types of non-self. The ultimate insubstantiality of the relative meaning of the concepts of personality. And you have to see the ultimate insatiability of that self. That it has no actual existence. The preference is the thing. And the preference is built every bit as much as this building is built. You don't have preferences. Please. Your preferences were built. They were shaped, formed by the conditions. How many like those little fishes that the Japanese eat for breakfast? How many like bacon and eggs and toast for breakfast? Yum, yum, yum. Unless you're Japanese. Bacon and eggs and toast. Little fishes. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, french fries, ketchup, and coke. Ah, as a teenager, right, that's what you do. After school, you'd run down to the local Chinese restaurant serving French fries and Coke. Authentic Chinese food. <laughs> and you'd order French fries and Coke and a lot of vinegar, and, and you just pour the vinegar on the French fries. This is English. You pour the vinegar on the French fries, and you just take the ketchup bottle and dump it on the fries, and you just put your face up. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have your... 25 cents and you put it in the jute box and you pay really cool music like he was a one-eyed, one-horned purple people eater. (laughs) I mean, if you look objectively at you and your preferences and your anti-preferences, any intelligent human being would go, what a f***ing idiot. But no, no, in Switzerland, we're much more cultured than those Americans. And the North Americans go, oh, those snobby Europeans. Same mistake, made in two directions. The Europeans consider the Americans to be kind of boors. Americans uh, consider Europeans to be snobs. The insubstantiality of the personality culturally conditioned, so the insubstantiality of every value that the Japanese have. Easy for you to see? Yes, because you're a foreigner. How about the insubstantiality of being an American? You see that one? Okay, so, the ultimate insubstantiality of the relative meaning concepts of personality, and the ultimate insubstantiality of objective reality. There you go, the two senses of non-self. Not only is the nature of self empty, but so are the objects. All the things you're chasing, insubstantial. The beautiful women, the lovely house, the successful career, insubstantial. So, these four meditations on the four attachments cover all the teachings from taking refuge through to the meaning of the two types of non-self or from the five stages of the path and the ten levels down through all the teachings on bodhicitta. Some of these topics form the basis for bodhicitta. Some are its objectives. Some are the rituals connected with bodhicitta, development rituals. Some are advice pertinent to bodhicitta, some concerns its qualities and benefits, and some represent its results. There is no topic 
in the spiritual path that isn't covered in the bodhicitta teachings. All these forms of instruction stem from the good mentor, whether you call him Buddha or Naropa or Milarepa or Dalai Lama. The good mentor is the source of all the teachings of virtue. Omniscience is dependent upon the instructions given by the good mentors. If you did not have a mother who talked to you, you would not learn to talk. You've seen the movie Nell? Your mother is also your good mentor, but they're mentoring you for a worldly existence. They've done their job. You all function more or less <laughs> successfully in your world. That's because of your parents. They educated you, they fed you, they clothed you, they trained you. All you see is how they failed, perhaps. But they succeeded. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They got you functioning. However, they got you functioning in a samsaric value structure. That's why you're discontented with them. But they did their job. Because you can't function in a transcendent level unless you can function in a samsaric level. However, mentors move on, right? We talked about the four, you know, the, what was the first one? The personality, the the individual person right through to the Buddha. So you have different mentors at different times. Your parents are your mentors. Then your teachers are your mentors. And then if you have a particular talent or aspiration, like say art, right, then you have artistic mentors. And then you have like maybe psychologists or you know psychotherapists or people who have been helpful to you. They were your mentors, right? Right through to uh, Sambhogakaya Buddha. Right. And tonight, we will do the meditation on impermanence. The four thoughts that turn the mind. You always come back to them. Again and again and again, you return to the same principles. Hopefully, based on your practice and your application of the teachings, they take on greater and greater depth in terms of your understanding. If you're doing the work, your understanding changes every time you hear an old topic. If you aren't doing the work, then it just sounds like I'm repeating myself. That's the rule. If I'm just repeating myself, then you're not practicing. If you're practicing, every time you hear the topic, it takes on a greater depth and a greater understanding as you move through your attachments. If you're not moving through your attachments, if you're not seeing through your samsaric clinging, then the teacher will just sound like he's saying the same thing over and over. Well, and in fact, he is. <laughs> so a Buddha, or an awakened being, talks to those that are going to awaken right now, right through to those who have switched off potential. And each person hears the teaching according to where they're at at the time. And the rest is waiting are you waiting for Godot? Or are you out there bashing down the doors to find out where Godot is hiding? Sorry for the allusion to... Yeah, who wrote it? Goethe? Beckett. Samuel Beckett. Any questions? Hmm.
You got to be a little careful, by the way, about spending too much time analyzing you. I'll, I'll get to you in a minute. Because you analyzing you is more, more you. So, oh yeah, I love analyzing me, because it's all about, are you a greed type or a hate type? Oh yes, I'm a greed Are you a one or a five? Or are you a thinking or a sensing? More me, more me. Yes? You don't need to know. Trying to push aside. What is who is trying to push aside the why? Who's pushing what? The Buddha gave this talk. Now, you've been shot with the arrow of suffering. What do you want to know? How to get the arrow out? Or who made the arrow, what color the arrow is, who painted the arrow. What kind of arrow is it? Is it a Japanese arrow or a German arrow? Did the person who fired the arrow love me or hate me? Was it an arrow of compassion or was it an arrow of aversion? Did they really mean to shoot me or were they aiming for Michael? Maybe it was an accidental arrow. There's a book, I think. There are some books written about the arrow. <laughs> There's dialogue about the books written about the arrow. There's books written about the people who wrote books about the arrow. I will meditate on the arrow. Om. 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 Or I'll just take the arrow out. Yeah, that's your meditative absorption. That's the meditative concentration. Your mind can go to the arrow, or it can go to the insubstantiality of the experience of arrow and the insubstantiality of the arrow itself, the two forms of non-self. Be very careful, you little tricky devil. Oh, well, but the arrow, you see, when I was three, are you listening? When I was three. <laughs> I mean, like I had a problem when I was three. Let me tell you about it. Uh, good question. The insubstantiality of the problem and the insubstantiality of the person experiencing the problem ends every problem. And by having meditative concentration, you just tell that little imp, that little Irish leprechaun, poof. The minute you see it as just more you, you drop it. And then you will be in jhana always. If you see the insubstantiality of the arising and the insubstantiality of that which is having the arising. <laughs> well, you have a precedent for this opinion. It's called mother. You wanted to throw your poop against the wall because it was fun. And she wanted you to put it in a toilet. So your general answer to everything is no, unless you choose it. And then it's yes, but you have to be very clear, that which you choose is mother. French fries, ketchup, and Coke. Little fish. Natto or uni. And if you're going, oh, oh, no, natto and uni is so much better than French fries and Coke, 
then you have inverse chauvinism. Wake up! Oh, no, no, Japanese die. Well, yes, more healthy. But so what? You're going to die anyway. Enjoy it. Oh, I died healthy. (laughs) I lived an extra ten years eating rice and little fishes. I did without ketchup and french fries. I am so noble. And I'm not my mother. My mother lived in Regina and ate potatoes and overcooked. My mother was a terrible cook. I mean, she got us. But I survived, right? I'm alive. Here I am, 60, looking pretty good, no? (laughs) It wasn't such a bad deal. I'm living at the top of the food chain. I'm living in the God realm. I don't have to worry about getting shot or raped or stolen from or killed in revolution, dictatorship coming in and, well, maybe. They didn't do such a bad job. The fact that they did it completely and totally unconsciously is the problem. The reason you have a problem with your conditioning is because they didn't know what they were doing. It was completely and totally unconscious, basically turn you into a little robot in their little society to fulfill their what? Get old and die? That's the whole, you know, your grandfather and your grandmother lived their whole lives so you could get old and die, right? As like consumers. The fact that they loved you is because fundamentally they didn't love you at all. What they loved was the Buddha nature. When they had their moments of contact with bliss, clarity, and non-clinging awareness, they liked you or themselves. And when they lost that, when they got trapped in phenomena, then they were creeps. Your parents, your grandparents, they're all training you to live in the world, seeking satisfaction where it cannot be found, except temporarily in the moment. And to run from one to the from one to run from one satisfaction to the next satisfaction doesn't equal satisfaction. What it equals is indigestion. And then on top of that, you don't, you don't even have a full experience anyway because you're too busy trying to make it manageable. Have I ranted enough? Take the arrow out. Bliss, clarity, non-clinging is your birthright. Bliss, clarity, non-clinging is the only thing that's really happening anyway. And it is ultimately satisfying because it's not subject to change. It isn't subject to loss, and it isn't affected by changing phenomena, including ice-cold pools at two in the morning naked. doesn't touch it. It's only intense experience. Yeah, I thought you wanted intense experience. You don't want intense experience. You want dampened down, dull experience that are familiar, like French fries and ketchup. Wake up, a little Susie. Wake up. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Thank you.